0: Welcome to the markets. Hello again, Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong with you for our weekly get-together to take a look at market activity on Wall Street and in the wheat fields and the corn fields and the livestock feedlots in America and agriculture around the world. Every week we come together and talk about highlights and yes, some low lights as well. But let's begin with our coverage of Wall Street and taking a look at the numbers at Wall Street today. Ended up the uh, first week of the new quarter with uh, pretty good numbers. Dow Jones <clears throat> Industrial Average up 269 points. Ended the day and the week at 26,412. The S&P 500 up 19 points, closing at 29.07, and the Nasdaq up 36 and a quarter points at 79.83 for the week. The Dow was down just five hundredths of a percent. The S&P 500 up half a percent, and the Nasdaq up a little more than half a percent for the week. And the S&P 500 total return index posted a record-high close today of 58.15. So what were some of the ingredients to today's activity on Wall Street? Stock market closing near record highs after the largest U.S. bank, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, soothed worries that the first quarter earnings season would dampen Wall Street's big rally back from last year's slump. And the S&P 500 is now within a percent of September's record closing high. And uh, we find the total return index for the S&P, which includes reinvested dividends regaining record levels, recovering ground lost after a punishing sell-off in the closing months of the year, which brought the benchmark index with an arounding error of bear market territory. But since then, the three major NDCs have notched their best quarterly gains in nearly a decade in the first quarter, but have spent April in a holding pattern ahead of the first quarter earnings season. But that got underway today with some of the big banks reporting and taking away some of the worry. J.P. Morgan effectively jump-starting the quarterly earnings reporting season that will dominate investors' sentiment in coming weeks came in well above analyst estimates, easing fears that slowing economic growth could weigh on its results, its stock up 4.7%. One analyst said J.P. Morgan earnings are important because their operation touches on a wide portion of the economy. It's a bellwether to other corporate earnings. And analysts now expect S&P 500 companies to show a two and a third percent year-on-year decline in earnings, slightly improved from their last reading. But first quarter profit still seen logging its first annual contraction since 2016. However, of the 29 companies in the S&P 500 that have reported thus far, 79% have come in above analyst expectations. Walt Disney Company jumped 11.5% today to an all-time high, that provided the biggest boost to the Dow and the S&P 500 after it priced its upcoming streaming service. And streaming rival Netflix, their shares, down 4.5%. And so of the 11 major sectors in the S&P 500, all but the healthcare sector ended the session in positive territory. Boeing Company... It's stock up 2.6% as the plane makers stock recovered a little bit following its recent sell-off. And the CBOE volatility index, that's Wall Street's so-called fear gauge, slipped to a fresh six-month low today in a sign that investors expect the good times to keep on rolling. Healthcare stocks extended their slide, however, with United Health Group down a little more than 5%, Anthem down 8.5%, and Humana off 2.8%. But in the largest energy deal since 2016, Chevron Corporation said it would buy Anadarko Petroleum Corporation for $33 billion in cash and stock. And while we're speaking of energy, let's take a look at the closing oil price for the week. Brent crude futures up 72 cents to settle at $71.55 a barrel. And U.S. crude ended the session up 31 cents, $63.89 a barrel. So now let's take a look ahead, and you know what. A lot of time we're going to be spending next week on earnings reports. Now that the earnings report season is underway, it's going to be a busy time. Bank of America, second largest U.S. bank, will report first quarter earnings on Tuesday. And uh, we'll also be taking a look at... um, uh, Bank of New York Mellon expected to report its first quarter results on Wednesday before the markets open. Other earnings reports. Johnson & Johnson expected to report a decline in first quarter profit as some of its older drugs are now facing competition from cheaper copycat versions. And investors will look out for comments on its medical devices and consumer products units and initial uptakes of its recently approved depression drug Spravato. Abbott Laboratories expected to report a higher first quarter profit on Wednesday. And the uh, Optum Services business will also, that's uh, the United Health Group, the largest U.S. health insurer, expected to report that higher first quarter profit uh, driven by the strength in its Optum Services business. Flurry of economic data is due next week, including manufacturing output on Tuesday, international trade data on Wednesday, weekly jobless claims and retail sales data on Thursday, and housing start numbers on Friday. BlackRock Incorporated, the world's largest asset manager, expected to post first quarter results on Tuesday. And American Express expected to report its first quarter results on Thursday. The company expected to report a rise in profit despite spending more on rewards to customers. Tuesday, Netflix expected to post an increase in international subscribers in its first quarter. Schlumberger, the world's largest oil field services provider, expected to post a drop in first-quarter profit as U.S. shale producers reduce drilling activity to focus on earnings growth. PepsiCo, like, uh, PepsiCo expected to report a rise in first-quarter sales driven by higher demand for beverage and snacks in North America. However, its international business likely to show a drop in sales hurt by currency fluctuations and ongoing geopolitical tensions. IBM, boy, that used to be the bellwether, but uh, been replaced by some other companies now, but IBM expected to report a drop in first quarter revenue on Tuesday, tapering sales of its latest mainframes more than offset demand for its newer businesses. Then we'll turn to the airline industry. United Continental expected to report higher revenue and profit for the first quarter as the carrier benefits from strong demand for air travel. United has warned that the use of larger aircraft on routes previously flown by Boeing's grounded 737 MAX jets is costing the airline money in the short term. U.S. industrial conglomerate Honeywell International expected to report lower first quarter revenue on Thursday. And uh, U.S. advertising company Omnicom Group expected to re- report a decline in quarterly revenue on Tuesday. The Travelers Companies uh, plans to report its first quarter 2019 results on Thursday before the market opens. An analyst will be looking for signs of whether the insurer is taming some profit concerns in its commercial auto business, driven by higher bodily injury costs. And speaking of autos, New York International Auto Show begins on Friday. Automakers will debut new models, and auto dealers will gather for a conference. The U.S. auto industry Bracing for sales declines in 2019, as well as trade tensions that could threaten imported German and Japanese vehicles popular in the coastal states. So it's going to be a busy week on the earnings report season as we take a look at next week's activity on Wall Street. We'll talk markets. Well, Max Armstrong will check in to talk markets when we continue here on the the markets.
1: For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all... It's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group.
2: Advance with confidence. Well, let's talk about the markets now. From INTL FC Stone, we were joined by Arlen Suderman. And I pointed out to Arlen that just about everybody's talking about China. China. China comes into the conversation all the time. How long will it be, Arlen, before there's some agreement on trade.
3: Well, President Trump says we're several weeks away yet, and and I think nobody really knows. We're down to the last 5 or 10 percent, but that's the toughest amount to really negotiate. It's primarily the enforcement language. As you know, China has made lots of agreements, including the WTO agreement to get in, and has kept very few of them. So the administration wants to have strong enforcement language. China's willing to make promises, but uh, they're not willing to make uh, agreement to enforcement language. So we'll see. They need an agreement.
2: Is there a feeling as to how much... Grain could move as a result of an agreement. I mean, is anybody using any figures, plugging in numbers? You hearing any rumors?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of speculation. Now, what we're hearing on the ground in China, rumors in China, and we've been hearing a lot of stuff for quite some time from our customers there, is uh, that uh, the deal will entail 40 million metric ton of soybeans, 20 million metric ton of corn, and 10 million metric ton of wheat. Now, over what time span, we don't know. We've generally heard from the US side that this is a six-year agreement to 2025. So if we assume a worst-case scenario spread out over six years, it really doesn't do anything for soybeans with the big surplus we have. It helps with wheat. Um, it's not a lone factor. With corn, if you combine it with the ethanol and DDGs that we hear are in agreement as well, it is a significant factor. It is very bullish, the market. Um, but here again, rumors, and we we'll to see what's actually in the language. What
2: do you see in terms of pressures from both sides to get some kind of an agreement?
3: well on the us side it's primarily political Uh, President Trump has shown that he's willing to uh, pay the price, so to speak, to get a good deal economically, but he may not be willing to pay the price to not get reelected. And so he needs the markets doing well. And for the markets doing well, we probably need a trade agreement soon. And that's what China's been counting on. On the Chinese side, they admit that they had been dragging their heels waiting for the Mueller report to come out. And once they heard the Mueller report results, they said, okay, he's probably going to win reelection. We need to work with that risk. Economically they're willing to pay the pain but what they don't like is how this administration has shown the spotlight on the practices that they're doing in their trade globally and they want to get the attention off of that. And the more longer this goes, the worse it gets for them, raising the risk that the next president will also keep the pressure on. And the Democratic Party's been coming behind President Trump on these structural issues as well. So they want to get it off the table as quickly as possible.
2: African swine fever is a big issue, growing issue in China. Does that figure into the trade negotiations at all, Arlen?
3: It really does, because China consumes uh, 49% of the world's pork and 28% of the world's meat supply and right now hog feeding is down about forty percent. We estimate that the consumer will see shortages by the fourth quarter this year in China. They cannot afford social unrest, high inflation, so they need to get a deal so they can remove tariffs and and start feeding the meat supply in, and it by way of imports.
2: Pork is important to them?
3: It's their number one food of choice, particularly fresh pork. It's the number one driver of food inflation.
2: So this plays into a presumably fairly quick Approval, quick, I mean, sometime this year of getting a trade agreement.
3: That would be the sense. Uh, The ag markets have become tired of waiting, but I think we're moving in the right direction.
2: Hang on, we want to talk with you a little bit more here about it. Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone, he'll be right back.
0: Max spent a good part of the week in Kansas City, Missouri, with people involved in the agricultural advertising promotion and product advertising industry the National Agri-Marketing Association holding its annual gathering in Kansas City. Good turnout of veterans in the advertising field, but a lot of students were there as well. Awards were presented to some of the students, but uh, one of the industry awards that I want to mention now the Agricultural Association Leader of the Year Award went to Fuzzy Duval, the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. He couldn't be there because of his wife's illness, but he deeply appreciated that honor from NAMA in Kansas City. Now let's get back to Max Armstrong.
2: Arlen Suderman from INTL FC Stone back with us here. Let's talk about corn. Everybody's getting a little bit uneasy about the inability to get in fields, yet we're not that far behind, are we, pal?
3: Well, officially, no, we're really not, but sure has farmers worry because from a practical fieldwork standpoint, they are. We got very little fieldwork done last fall which we would have been fine if we had a perfect spring. Obviously, we're not having that perfect spring. And uh, with snow continuing to fall in the northwest, midwest, rain over many different areas, uh, forecast still holds out. Hope that we may get it done. I think we'll see a lot of nitrogen maybe switch from gas over to liquid. Um, There's some question whether we'll get it all on or not or get sufficient quantities on. Farmers will pay more money.
2: When when, when will the market really get concerned, though, about uh, late corn planting, delayed corn planting. Is it going to have to be in May?
3: Well, the farmers think it ought to be in March 15th that they get concerned, but uh, uh, the farmer's done so well over the years that the market assumes that if we get 10 days in May, they'll get it all done because the farmer's done so well in the past. Uh, Typically, when we get in late April and the forecasts start peering into the first half of May, that's when the market starts paying more attention.
2: We do have a history for being able to plant it quickly, and it just takes what? five to seven days and you've gotten the lion's share of the crop in as long as that weather is cooperating.
3: Yeah and I think the real concerns are going to narrow down to some of those wettest areas of the Midwest. We've had a few in the south although many of them have dried out but particularly the northwestern Midwest is going to be a concern. The snow melt and then we've got cool temperatures really coming in for much of the next 30 days below normal temperatures in that area and that's going to slow the drying out process and then of course we have the river valleys uh, where we had the flooding. So we're going to have higher prevented planting acres this year, which last year was really well below normal. I think this year we'll go back to normal, maybe above normal and prevented plant.
2: Recalling the capability for a market to rally during the spring planting season and knowing how much bearish news we've had already, what's the potential for a meaningful spike to give uh, an operator a meaningful opportunity to market?
3: Well, keep in mind that uh, our trade is largely driven by computers these days without human intervention. And so those computers drive prices too high and they drive prices too low. And until the momentum or the charts change, they keep driving it in the direction they're going. And that's the situation we've been in. So we have now record short hedge fund positions in the corn market. As a result of that, the computer's driving this. So if we were to get something to scare them out of those uh, positions, uh, we could quickly see a 20, 25% rally. And depending if it was related to a trade agreement, something related to China, it could be larger than that.
2: Time could be of the essence for the producer to act. We've seen that in the not-too-distant past.
3: Yeah, we really have. and uh, You have to be ready. We really have to be ready, and we have to be ready on both sides. I think soybeans are very vulnerable to a collapse, corn to the upside, so it takes very different strategies of risk management.
2: There are already some cash marketing opportunities uh, because of the basis, are there not?
3: The, because of the basis, because of the carry in the futures market, both give you some opportunities, and it varies by region, but uh, this is business we need to hit a lot of singles this year rather than waiting for the home run.
2: It's always a treat to sit with you and visit them you, sir. Thanks a lot, Arlen. We appreciate it. Thank you, Max. Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone.
1: For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence.
0: In the agricultural world, there was what I consider a bombshell dropped on us at the beginning of the week when we got word from the National Pork Producers Council that it was canceling the 2019 edition of the World Pork Expo. That's an event that has been going on since 1987 every year at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines, Iowa. But the cancellation came about because of concern over African swine fever. And so the board of directors of the council decided that while the evaluation of veterinarians and other third-party experts concluded negligible risk associated with holding the expo We have decided to exercise extreme caution. Those words from David Herring, president of the National Pork Producers, a producer from North Carolina. He went on to say, The health of the U.S. swine herd is paramount. The livelihoods of our producers depend on it. And prevention is our only defense against African swine fever And the National Pork Producers Council will continue to do all it can to prevent its spread to the United States. That decision to cancel happened in Washington, D.C. this week as more than 100 U.S. pork producers gathered to meet with their members of Congress during the Pork Producers Legislative Action Conference. And the... uh, President of the National Pork Producers Association went on to say, Our farmers are highly export dependent. An African swine fever outbreak would immediately close our markets at a time when we are already facing serious trade headwinds. The retaliatory tar- uh, tariffs we currently face in some of our largest export markets due to trade disputes are among the factors that prompted a conservative decision regarding World Pork Expo. U.S. pork producers are already operating in very challenging financial conditions. The words of David Herring, pork producer from North Carolina, who is president of the National Pork Producers Council. But I can't imagine the discussion that had to take place on an event being canceled about six weeks before it was due to get underway in Des Moines, Iowa. About 20,000 visitors gathered annually from the pork industry across the United States, but in many other countries of the world. And that concern about bringing African swine fever from foreign visitors into the United States was one that said, No, we can't do this. We can't put the U.S. pork industry to risk. But I can't imagine what that did to hotels and to restaurants and other businesses in Des Moines that look forward to having 20,000 out-of-town customers taking up restaurant space and taking up hotel space. And so I'm sure that... Pork producers had a long discussion on that entire subject and then shared their discussion with the commercial industries of Des Moines, Iowa. Now, getting back to the Washington meeting... The pork producers wrapped up the spring legislative action conference with more than 100 pork producers in Washington to meet with their representatives. And what did they talk about? Well, again, David Herring said lifting metal tariffs on Mexico and restoring zero tariff access for U.S. pork in our largest export market is our number one priority. Restricted access to Mexico has placed a severe financial strain on our farmers for more than a year, so we asked our representatives in Congress to do all they can to push for an end to this and other trade disputes, including China, that are hurting our export-dependent farmers. Members of the pork producers also urged Congress to advocate for the quick completion of a trade deal with Japan at a time when new trade agreements Japan has formed with other countries are threatening U.S. pork market share in its largest value market. And pork producers also urge their representatives to vote to ratify the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement to secure long-term zero-tariff pork trade in North America. Producers also talked about two solutions to mitigate the risk of animal disease in the United States— Number one, appropriations funding for 600 new U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agriculture inspectors to further strengthen defenses against African swine fever and other animal diseases, and to sign a letter of support that calls for the USDA to implement the Farm Bill as intended, including development of a foot and mouth disease vaccine bank. But back to African swine fever for a moment, it only affects pork, it does not affect humans, and there is no vaccine available, at least at the moment. Uh, We did get word about a week ago that some scientists in China had taken the first step in perhaps developing a vaccine, but we have not heard any more about that in further uh, communications from China. So the pork industry getting a lot of attention this week, some for good reasons and some for not such good reasons. But in the pork market at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, it was another week of daily limit moves, the $3 limit up or down. Uh, was hit a couple of times again this past week. So let's take a look at where we ended the week in the pork market at the Mercantile Exchange. The June Lean Hog contract today up sixty cents a hundredweight ending the week at ninety-eight dollars and fifty cents. The June Live Cattle contract up a dollar five cents today, ending the week at $121.45 and the april feeder cattle contract down 12 cents a hundredweight ending at $145.42 but uh, looking ahead to august the august contract for feeder cattle gained a dollar and 2 cents for the day so let's turn to the grain trade this week because disappointment in export business again Put pressure on the uh, corn and wheat futures, but they did manage to close slightly higher today. But there's very little price movement really in grains, uh, lifted by a late round of short covering and worries about planting delays following a blizzard this week. And all three commodities posted modest weekly declines after the U.S. Department of Agriculture on Tuesday raised its U.S. and world-ending stocks forecast for corn and wheat. And traders continue to wait for signs of progress in U.S. trade talks with top global soy buyer buyer, uh, China. So at the end of the day today, we found the July wheat up three cents. It'll start Monday at uh, $4.68 and a half cents a bushel. July corn gained a half cent, three sixty-nine and a quarter. July soybeans ended the day unchanged. And we'll start the trade next week at 9 dollars eight and three quarter cents a bushel. So that's our report for this week. Thank you very much for joining us on The Markets.